When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Seven years ago, college wrestler Damian Hurd disappeared from a party in Gunnison, Colorado. Everyone has been drinking or whatever the usual party scene. When, how, and why he left are questions I need your help to understand. Nobody's heard from him. No, it's just like he disappeared. From Cold Case Productions and Podcast One, Final Days on Earth, The Life and Death of Damien Hurd. I'm your host, Claire Sanima. Join me April 20th for the season premiere. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Seth Partnow of The Athletic, and as you would expect for those of you who listen to podcasts with us, it's wide-ranging, goes through a lot of stuff in terms of what we're looking for over the last week of the regular season moving forward, kind of takeaways from this weird part in the schedule, a little bit about our MVP theories and thoughts, and plenty of stuff in between. I mean, as you know, we go in a lot of different directions, so a little bit less than an hour. I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me back, Danny. This is such a strange time, not only in the NBA calendar more generally, but so specifically for this season. And the way the way I was uh, thinking about it, um, and we talked about it this a little bit before we started, is it's been such a long sprint. Like, I'm even thinking about this as an analyst, much less as a player or a coach. It's been such a long sprint since the All-Star break, and you know, a lot of these teams are making up games and everything else. And I'm sure there are tendencies, especially for the teams that have things more resolved, to be like, okay, it's over, this has been long enough. But there's also this weird dynamic that it is both a long, the end of a long sprint, but also all, a lot of this stuff really matters, and we don't know how exactly it's going to matter until, you know, roughly a week from now. Well, and even then, I mean, I think this is the le- less, least, the lesserest, whatever, <laughs> uh, uh, uh like confident I am in in kind of what how I think the playoffs are going to look any time that I can remember just with so many you know between the injuries and uh not really knowing what certain teams will look like like I I wrote on the athletic this week with Alex, Alex Schiffer like the Nets have played like zero minutes with like two of their what I think are going to be kind of mainstay playoff lineups which is their three their big three and either either Nick Claxton or Blake Griffin those four, either of those four person groups have shared the floor for zero minutes this year. And I, I think that's pretty unprecedented. Yeah. And I mean, to 
to get into a to use use some legal terms, there's an idea with certain evidence of whether it's more prejudicial than probative. And so that is basically the idea of like, are you getting more out of it than it's biasing a jury in that sense? And like this year, figuring out what evidence is relevant for evaluating these teams is absolutely brutal. I mean, whether you want to talk about injuries or even the one of the challenges that I've had at different moments in time, and I'm guessing teams have better measures of this than we do, is just remembering, okay, the Jazz played the 76ers in this game. Did Joel Embiid play? You know, like, did was this player available? And also, like, did they play where they, you know, maybe hurt or coming back from something? This year has more context that can be easier to lose than I, any year I can remember. Because, like, even in the bubble, like, everybody kind of knew where things were. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you say that, that the teams have they better, but, they, like, that stuff like that is so hard because the word you use is context. And, you know, to get measures of that, you need to pick out that context and actually doing that in any sort of systematic way for a season like this. Like, what are your heuristics for a game that's like against the other teams, getting the other team's best punch? It's there, there's so many different ways to answer that question. And it, it, it might even differ for different opponents just based on matchups. So, I mean, I think even teams are going to struggle with that. And, and, you know, it's easy to over overweight kind of the small sample size of like the two or three season matchups. Um, and I think that danger is even more present this year. Again, I just, so how much does anything that has happened in the regular season tell us about the playoffs? I just, I less than you would think. Yeah. Like the, who is the, the most, the, probably the most consistent team across this season has been the Suns. I would agree. Um, but they are going in with, with the, you know, a, a, an almost unprecedented level of playoff experience for a team in that sort of position. And that, I think that matters. So, you know, you take what have they done this season, but then, you know, other than Chris Paul and a little bit Jay Crowder, like they don't have a lot of been there before. Yeah. And even like, I mean, I know Monty has been on, Monty has been on staffs and ha- has all of it, but his experience as a playoff coach is not something that I remember particularly strongly. Like the Pels made it one of the years that he was there. I, I think, I think, yeah, I think New Orleans made it twice when he was the coach. Um, and so, like, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lack of coaching experience there too. And not just coaching, but like organizationally. Sure. Like, Suns have not been in the playoffs for a while. And, and there's, it's, it's, you know, I, having experience not just going to the playoffs but like progressing in the playoffs for the first time in a while it's just you're you're as much as you know it's going to be different you're just not ready yeah i i think that's a great a great point and for a lot of their important players you know like devin booker and yes he experienced the bubble but that is different you know they didn't play in the playoff games within the bubble and for ayton and mikhail bridges and and it's it's going to be a lot for them to take on and it seems that they're going to be facing a challenging opponent i mean that is one of the other really weird elements that i've been having to wrap my brain around and i mean we're recording this on saturday last night's lakers blazers game it didn't formalize that the lakers are going to be the seven because obviously they can they can make their way out and there, there are numerous things they can do if they're a little bit better than their brethren but i believe they now don't have the tiebreaker against both dallas and portland and so that makes it makes it hard for them to get at least to the five and 
Sure, there will be inevitably a shorthand that the Lakers are the defending champions who have two players who, when healthy, can easily be the best player in the series in any series they're playing in. But we don't know how those guys are going to be. We don't know how they're going to look. And so I talked a little bit about this with Matt Moore a couple weeks ago about the idea of trust and what makes this year so distinct among all the ones since I've been covering the league is that the teams that you would otherwise have trust. So there, there are kind of three branches. One group of teams you don't trust because they're of their inexperience. And that's what you were getting at with, with Phoenix. Then there's another group of teams that you don't trust because of their history. And so you could bring up, you know, the Utah Jazz to an extent there. You could bring up the, I would bring up the Clippers just because of how they, how thoroughly they collapsed in that series against the Nuggets last year. And then the other one is health availability. And so for that, you could bring up the Nuggets because Jamal Murray is out. You could bring up the Lakers because we'll see what LeBron looks like and everything else. And basically, if you put those three boxes together, and of course, there's some teams that actually check multiple of those boxes just depending on who they have on the roster, there's basically no one left. Yeah, it's 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 the uh, the the battle of wits scene in the Princess Bride, except there's like eight cups, so I can pr- clearly not choose the one in front of you, or this other one, or this other one, or this other one, and so you just go in circles about why you can't really you can't pick any of the teams, and that's sort of where I feel right now. Well, and which is very odd. And then the other huge wrinkle that comes in with with it that I'm very excited about is that the top teams are getting a whole week off. And I think that it's very necessary after this year. I think that ha- whether they have a lot of practices or more days off or, you know, kind of a mix, maybe a light practice, something like that, I think that's going to be very good for those teams. And it will create a balance, though, if, you know, like some of it is rest versus rust, but some of it is also just how how you kind of can shift gears. And I'm wondering how teams are going to handle that. I think it's general. My general understanding is you deal with the road that's in front of you until the road in front of you changes. But for example, like does Philadelphia, let's say they clinch the number one seed a couple of games before the end of the year. Do they want to sit their best players to line to, you know, to make sure that they're healthy and all that if they know they're not playing for a week either way? So I feel like the East and the West have a little bit of a different approach to this almost. Um, maybe the same approach, but a different set of worries. Um, the top, the, the one and two seeds in the East, um, you know, maybe, maybe Washington is frisky just the way they've been playing, but you know, you're going to get a favorable first round matchup. You're going to have a talent advantage. You know, you're going to have a talent advantage. So kind of that, 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 uh, you know, that the whole, the, you know, the, the, the jumping on a moving treadmill thing is it's, it's maybe not moving very fast. Whereas like you have a week off and here come the Lakers having just had to win a game to get into the playoffs. Like I, that, that strikes me as a as a as a fundamentally different challenge, and I just I don't know how to how to prepare for that because nobody does because no one's ever done it. Yeah, and the team specifically the team that wins the seven eight game, it's not like they're going to be exhausted. They will played one game in a week, and if it's the team that was hosting that seven eight game, they might not have even had to travel, and they'll they'll have to travel to their first round opponent. But other than that. It should be okay. And yeah, I, I, it's something that I've been trying to wrap my brain around. And I mean, after yesterday's result, it feels to me like the most likely, most likely does not mean definite. Most likely situation is that the Warriors and Lakers are playing in the 7-8 playing game. And then the lo- the winner of that gets the si- gets to face the two. And the loser of that game has to win another game. And the winner of that one faces presumably the Utah Jazz. 
And that is going to be a real challenge for those teams. And Utah does have, and also like the general understanding that the elevation advantage that Utah and Denver hold because of their, where their, where their, their elevation, everything else, that that is muted to an extent in, in the playoffs. Well, also, you know, like how different is it with limited fans versus full fans and everything else. But yeah, those teams, you talked about the treadmill, like they're going to have to get on running pretty close to full speed because depending on which, let's say we use the Lakers, depending on what version of the Lakers we're seeing, we could see a two seed or a one seed at a talent disadvantage. I, I think, so. yeah, I mean, that's, that is the biggest worry. And, you know, I, I don't think Golden State has the talent to have much of a chance of winning a first round series against those two. But then again, you know, the the limited prep time is thinking especially if they if they end up you know coming out as the 8 seed the limited prep time for one of one of probably the harder guys to prep for in the league in in Steph like that's 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 an interesting wrinkle too it's well, like especially with Utah's two games, yeah, like Utah's personnel in the sense that the Jazz have made a decision, and it's a, a worthwhile one. I think you make the argument. You know, you're always going to have to sacrifice something. Where they have weaker perimeter defenders, but they have this unbelievable group of shooters and overall offensive players. And the so okay, how are you going to handle it if you have to face this game-breaking point guard who you you can't do some of the normal defense approaches on and you don't have that same level of like defensive talent it's going to if that if that's the one eight it's going to be a real challenge i mean i think they are they are i mean from a personnel standpoint they're a little better equipped to handle staff than they are to handle uh the clippers or, or lakers i think yeah, um, I would just, I know, would say that's fair. Though we did see the Clippers struggle with. I mean, I think they, even though they're not trying to get all the way to the basket, we could see the, the rim protection affecting them a little bit. Yeah, but the Clippers also the Clippers might be having the greatest three point shooting season of all time. So they got plenty of shooters. Yeah. So, it, but it's 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 the, again that that up to speed, and then you you know imagine if the first round series were five games, and <laughs> you had the, you had you had the you had a team like that had been going for like imagine what that first round series between the Lakers and 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 Blazers would have felt like last year if it was a five game series after Portland wins game. Now I still I still think LA wins that series because I think that 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 Portland team had just given so much to even get that point that they were they were spent. But still just the mad the level of of uh of uh of pucker shall we say that that would happen in, in in that kind of instance would be uh be entertaining. And I know there are people who have taken the widening gulf between the playoffs and the regular season to to say that the regular season you know means less or something else but it's like I think it's worth appreciating just kind of as its own thing and that's the way you know like so I haven't fully finished my research yet but like Jokic is probably going to be my MVP and a deserving one at, at, at that and just because at this point and what, can, what else do you need to see hold on let's, let's stop there what's what where, where's your where's your like I how is it even close I think the so <laughs> that, I think for, for me with with him and Curry to me those are the two where I think I think Jokic has it but for me the the argument of like which kind of offensive elevation is providing theoretically more value and then you get into the the interesting wrinkle of is it better to be a below average defender at an important position or a like average defender at a less important position like which is helping your team more and like that is an it is an interesting it's to me it's more a thought experiment rather than like a data driven one though i'm sure there's data that would help me um but for me 
preliminarily, like on the research I've done, for me, it's it's Jokic and Curry and then kind of this other group, which is a massive one. It's like six guys of other people who just don't have as strong a case, whether it be because the volume of games played isn't as much or because the impact per game is less. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the I mean, Curry is a, is a reasonable shout here. The the thing I would say is that I, it's, it's hard for me to not speak in like 82 game like prorated so i know that the totals won't be this year but the going from going from 50 to 60 is a lot harder than going from 35 to 45 in terms of that's true of you know what your team is winning so that's so that's like the additional thing like you know Jokic is digging out those 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 harder additional wins also and some of that is obviously having better teammates but like yes he had better teammates and then he went and won the games that were harder to win still yeah i i for me part of part of the argument in favor like part of the argument with curry is just how you know like it's the degree of difficulty like for a diver where the warriors don't have the the next yeah. best playmaker they have is somebody who would have significantly less utility were Steph Curry not on the team. And that's Draymond Green, who, like, you could see what happens to the Warriors' offense when he plays without Steph. His limitations come more to the forefront. And while Jokic is, you know, he thrives and he does everything well, like, I, I think that, and, and you he could work with less talented teammates. I, I think there's something to be said for, and I know there are people who don't like, I think of this as the Alex Rodriguez MVP argument going back to when he was on, I think he was on the Mariners and it was a team when they were like in last place or close to it. And it's like, it is true. And you're making the great point that 50 and 60 is, 50 and 60 are not the same. But if, if it's 50 and 60 versus like 25 and 40, like that is a pretty significant difference too. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, this is, we, we argue about this with, uh, with, with our friend Kevin Pelton all the time. I, you know, I think that that, again, you're that, 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 that team wins has to matter if we're talking about most valuable in a sport. Like I think the biggest difference is the sport like baseball is like, okay, Alex Rodriguez did what he did. And that's, it's, pretty like that would be pretty agnostic of who else was on the team yeah that's a, that's a great argument because in baseball like there yeah. you're only you can you cannot come to bat more than once every nine times and right. how often you get the ball in the field who the hell knows you know it just depends and whereas in basketball you're touching you're you're impacting the game so much more and so yeah, I, yeah I, the, the, the best players matter just like you know the, this is this is an argument that what is the single most important position in sports it's and in the and like the uh the the finalists are like uh um nfl quarterback uh the hockey goalie and nba superstar like not necessarily a position but that role yeah and like okay hockey goalies like are pretty random and 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 can and fluctuate very very quickly um maybe the very best quarterbacks win married with a great coach but then just like the i think the like the best basketball players like have more impact and that's why like the team record you know it it it, it, it brings to bear on that because there's so much that doesn't get doesn't get picked up in like any of the any of the real statistical measures we have and it's just like okay they, they won a lot of games and he's and he's the reason why um and that that factors in somewhere oh yeah it absolutely does um since we kind of have gotten on this thread something i've been you know the only thing about as i've done my research to grapple with is the difference between higher impact in fewer games and lesser impact in more time so like I mean, Joel Embiid is a good kind of catalyst for a lot of this stuff. I mean, there there are numerous other uh, other players that you could go for, but I don't want to get into the specifics of this here unless you want to. But just speaking more more generally, how how do you approach it? Like for 
you know, for thinking about MVP, are you are you somebody who's more in the lines of like value is being on the court is valuable, and so if somebody if if let's say somebody's lesser but has played two thousand minutes versus somebody who's played sixteen hundred but was better, so I think that for the person who's played significantly less, they have to have been clearly better, like you know not not just like you know a, a, a step better, you know not just like marginally better. Um, and I don't think there's not like I don't, like you know this has come up a, a lot in the last couple of weeks. I don't think there's a, there's a good argument that that Embiid has been on a per game per minute basis has been massively better. It's like maybe a little there here, a little there. Maybe you can make an argument that on on you know per minute impact he, he edges. But for you know with a big gap in minutes, it would have to be just obvious that he had been better while on the court. And I and. You know, it's not uh, it's not close enough for for uh, to to meet that uh, that summary judgment standard, right? To to go to go back to our, our legal training. <laughs> well, and like here's a here's a way of thinking about it, or a way of articulating it. So far this year, as we're recording this podcast, Joel Embiid has played 1,500 minutes, and Nikola Jokic has played 2,343. That means Embiid has played 65 percent of Jokic's minutes. He would have to be so much better to be more valuable in that much less time. I mean, I think uh, yes, and the the ratio is the important. Like, if if, if Jokic had played twenty six hundred and Embiid had played twenty one hundred, it's like yeah, okay. You know, if a guy a guy you know, especially in a season like this, if a guy is getting held out of some back to backs, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go crazy about about that in terms of. But it's just it's that 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 difference in availability has just been so substantial that that again you would just need to be o- like overpoweringly better and. You know, it's hard to because how mostly because of how good Jokic is. Like the number of seasons anyone has had that would have to be, would have been enough better than, than Jokic to make up that kind of minutes difference is pretty small. Yeah, and the other MVP related challenge that I've been having is not surprisingly related to Rudy Gobert, which is just I come at it many times in terms of like you know like Nate and I do top ten players in the league and all that type of stuff, and in, in that sort of a project. I consider offense to be more valuable than defense, generating good shots. There are, you know, team, the difference of how you can create a team v defense versus individual stuff. But MVP is a regular season award. It is not tied to who you think is the best player in the league at the moment. It is not, it is not based on how successful they're going to be in the playoffs. And also, while it is true that you can succeed defensively in a variety of ways, it is also true that the Utah Jazz have primarily chosen to succeed on defense via funneling everything to Rudy Gobert and having Gobert clean it up, and it has worked exceedingly well. So I don't think he has, to me, especially given his modest role on offense, like I don't think Gobert has a you know 17% usage. Well, let's stop there. Sure. I think so— so he, yes, he he is not um, he's not a fulcrum of their offense, but he is a driver of their offense. Yeah, he is definitely um, a value. You know, he is a value add, and he does help. And he, yeah. and, he and he's more the, like that might understate it to an extent. Yeah, because I, mean, I think that I think that the better like is to his offensive value is pr- is probably comparable to you know the best years of say a, a Kyle Korver or a JJ Redick in terms of their ability to draw attention and create defensive movement without the ball. You know, you, it was in those those Hawks teams with, with Corver, like the, the Corver assist where he'd like, you know, come off a wide pin and his guy would, and, and 
and uh, Millsap's guy or something would like shade up and then Millsap would slip to the basket and get a layup. And like Corver never touches the ball, but he made that. And yeah. so much of like the of the Jazz's blender is they run a they, you know they run just a variety because they can run they have they have you know four or five guys who can run a pick and roll and so they from a variety of angles and Gobert's diving to the basket and he. And he draws attention and then you're then someone else is attacking a closeout. Now if that's you know last year's team and that's Tony Bradley or even if that's Derek Favors this year, it doesn't doesn't create the same advantage. And they have a lot of guys who play very well with an advantage. Like Joe Ingles isn't gonna break anybody down off the dribble. But if you give Joe Ingles a defender closing out on him, you know, that's the he's 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 gonna do some things. And and so Gobert is you know, I'm not going to say he's, you know, the driving force in their offense, but his kind of rim running gravity creates a lot of that. And as you said, the blender doesn't work nearly as well without him. So then that that's another another way of thinking about it. So then where do you think Gobert fits in this conversation then? Uh, you know, I, I haven't, I mean, other than knowing it would, it's Jokic one, I haven't, you know, really looked at, at where else. Um, I think he would be challenging for a spot on the back of my ballot. That's, I, I'm not that's sure that he where would he be is there. Yeah, I I haven't yeah. finished my work yet, but I have this group kind of. I think it's from three to eight, and I'm still sorting out the. I know I also don't think that the order is too. You know, like it matters obviously for various things, but it's like, yeah, you know, it's I, it's the way that I think about tiers. It's like general. My rule for tiers is that you can make a credible argument for any order, and once you can make yeah. a credible argument, I stress a little bit less about the order, especially because I don't have an actual ballot. Like if I had an actual ballot, yeah. I'd, have, I'd have sleepless nights. Right. I, are you? By the way, would you ever want it? I I've I have no desire to I would. actually to ever have a balance. I, I okay. would like one. Um, the idea behind it basically being I would want a ballot. You could sort of think about this the way I think about it as like an expansion franchise. I would want it if I think I would be in the top half of informed voters. So like if I'm elevating the if I'm elevating the level of the voting group, then I want it because then it makes the voting better. And I, you know, so it's like adding an expansion franchise to Seattle. It actually improves the overall league financial stuff because Seattle is going to be a higher revenue team than the average team in the league. So if I'm above that threshold, which I believe I am, then yeah, sure. Um, Release the Kraken, Danny. Also, yes, very much so. Um, and so I, I, that's kind of that. That's kind of the idea to me. And yeah, I know that there are lobbying and other things that come from that. And I don't know. I'm pretty coming from some of the stuff in my background. Like I'm pretty good at ignoring people who want th- who who want me to do certain things that I don't want to do. Like that's just something I'm used to. And I'm used to telling people like you know like ignoring publicity, please, if that's or like or you know lightly considering them. But it isn't. I, There was a time earlier in my career where I felt more aggressive about it, where I was like, I really want it and doing all that. And it's like, and also like the other thing that has happened is the awards that have been given out that I disagreed with in the last few years haven't been high end awards. They haven't been things that mattered too much to me. Like if there were a year where I thought there was a clear MVP and that person didn't win, then I would feel much more zealous about trying to get a ballot Um, and thinking, but I mean, Hopefully there's some ways of changing the discourse using the public means that I have and everything else. But I, so, yes, I would I would rather have one than not, but I don't think I would. It's not like something I would go crazy to get. Um, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting it's interesting. But, but yeah, with the volume of, of stuff of the league that I watch and think about and everything like that. You know, sure. I'd, I'd like to think sure. that it'd be in the top half. I mean, nice. sure. I, I know the re- I, like I, I'm, I, I would not want one, not because I don't think I would have an informed votes. It's more that i having having been on the other side i kind of um 
the 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 impact that such things actually those things actually carry weight in terms of people making decisions and how the league works. Oh, and, for sure. And it's just like and it's so there's there's a little bit of that 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 you know the the uncertainty principle. But but here's of, but here's the thing it, for the, me. I would rather have so if I believe I'm in the top half. I the the reason I would take a ballot is that I think I'd be giving those players and people a better shot. Like that's the that that would sure. be my idea behind it would be if you know, we could, we already you already brought up Joe Ingles. Like I think that me having a vote would make it more likely that Joe Ingles, who I feel is as of right now the deserving sixth man of the year, it'd make it more likely that he wins. And so, good, good. Seems like seems like the the the, the uh, momentum is breaking that way. Good. So, like Clarkson is Clarkson has fallen off, and people are like, "Holy crap! Look at Joe Ingles two shooting." Yeah. <laughs> like well, and that's so. the that's the other thing that happens is like so people. I, I mean, this this comes up, you know, Nate and I in various forms. We're interacting with fans constantly. People think a lot about awards and narrative long before decisions are actually made. And that is an important distinction to make. Is that like, yes, there was this thought and that that Jordan Clarkson seemed like the favorite and everything else. But that doesn't matter. It matters, let's say, like a third as much or half as much when nobody can put pen to paper. You know, when it's the because so, I mean, priors matter. Obviously, they do. Like there are myriad examples where you can you can point to a prior mattering, or somebody was hot for the first few weeks and then they tailed off. I mean, all those sorts of things absolutely do happen. But as long as people who vote take their vote seriously, like they, you usually you don't end up with the wrong answer too often. And I know that there are all these funny things that happen. Like the to me, the biggest kind of like fallacies that fans get into is like the I, I mean Harden fans got into this when Westbrook won the MVP over him it's like Westbrook was better that year that doesn't mean Russell Westbrook was or he was more valuable that doesn't mean that okay in my opinion um, he was he was okay I uh, anyway, okay can, uh, another time we can relitigate that okay but but so but that Harden, let's say, let's say theoretically, Harden being a better player subsequently does not affect whether that award was properly given. That's true. That is a completely well, separate point of whether this player is well, a better player or not. Yeah, we, and we see this, and we see that sort of silliness every year. And it's like, oh, the, is that your MVP in the in the playoffs? It's like, well, these games don't count for that. Yeah, and it's it's like, and it, I would I would be in firm support of having some sort of different award that encompasses other things, like whether it be you get a con Smythe player you know, of the year, player of the year, con Smythe. I mean, Pelton does the I don't know if he calls it the basketball door, but like basically the idea of calendar year. I support all those basketball things. Basketball like, door, I like that. That's that, that's great. I'm stealing that. Got it. I mean, you have to ask KP, but it's I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you my part of it. Um, but I, yeah. I think that there, and I know that the league kind of in some ways doesn't want that because if you did something that was the whole year, including the playoffs, it would have an obvious, not bias, but weight towards the playoffs and a recency bias and everything else. But what's I don't know. wrong with that? Yeah, having something we, like right. Yeah, and it, it would also I especially in some ways when the league does the award ceremony kind of after everything, which I mean I don't think it's necessary, Sucks. but they do what they're yeah. going to do. I think adding embracing that to add a component like for me the the one that would be the most beneficial to add would be the playoff. MVP or MOP or however you wanted to do it. And yeah, it would often end up like it would sometimes go to a finals MVP and all that. But there there are other times where it would where it would it would kind of open up the field to be like, okay, this was the best player during the finals, but this guy had an awesome run. They helped the team get there. And there are also circumstances where 
I think it's a player on an eliminated team, whether they were eliminated in the finals or something earlier, if they were really good, that it gives them it gives them a way to like something else to quant- to quantify to point to that would be useful. Right. I you know I I I would not be uh, opposed to an all tournament team. Yeah. I mean, I thought I thought the I thought the all bubble team was 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 a nice touch last year. Absolutely, yeah. You could you could work something like that. I'm sure the champ the eventual champion would probably be a little bit overrepresented. That's okay. I don't think that's the worst. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. How do you feel? Just because I was thinking about this for I was thinking about my all defensive teams. I've broadly been in the boat that the way they should resolve like the all NBA and that is one one backcourt player, one frontcourt player, and three wild cards. For I think that for all NBA and all defensive, basically to open the to open up the field a little bit more, so that if there were multiple good players of the same kind of grouping, that they would be allowed. Or do you think the more restrictive is better? Uh, more restrictive is better because I mean, really, from a defensive value standpoint, you'd end up with two guards and eight centers. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. Most eh, that doesn't. You know, do you really like, want you know, more than two guards? Really? <laughs> well, I mean, no. But if but if you're like okay, if you call like Jimmy Butler or Matisse Thybulle guards, then like you know you're. You know, the, it's going to go. It, it does. It goes. It can go to some bigger guards. It's just I don't like. I don't think we because having you know the the who who I don't, I, I can't even think of who like the seventh best defensive center this year has been like Robin Lopez or something like that has been like really good for Washington. So you know, if you start to go down to who's been the seventh best defensive center, it's like how much does that really like reflect the season? If you're if you're you know a guy who's like yeah he's in the top quarter of defenders at his position so he's on the all defense team that doesn't that doesn't you know i mean it, i suppose it depends on what what these awards are for and i to some degree i think it i think it is who the goal is like you know back retrospectively who were the the best players this year and you know again i don't think going down that deep in a position serves that goal especially well that's fair i respect that but yeah it's and the other danger that I know is going to come this year is that we have all of these pieces of uncertainty. You and I have already talked about a lot of them with health and everything else that, that you have to narrow all of those uncertainties into one result, whether that is a a specific game, a specific series, the whole playoffs, the whole uh, thing. And that will lead to the perception of like that this was the only way it was going to go of like let's say let's say the Nets and the Lakers or the Nets and the Clippers face off that was oh it was all about talent uh, and these teams are these teams are there narrative determinism exactly versus yeah. like and, and I will I will try to do my part to not to not do that but I I worry a little bit about that especially because the playoffs take so much time that you you kind of work past parts of it to get to the next parts of it and so right. especially if a team gets knocked out early that their story is just kind of not a part of it anymore. Yeah. No, I I so I I think just analogizing to the draft is probably a a, a good rule of thumb here. I think it's at this point people realize enough that you know aside from the top couple guys landing in the spot matters a great deal to how you turn out. And so it's like, well, he was always going to be a blah blah like Draymond was always going to be and you know one of the defensive legends like Mm, they, you know, there's a lot of places he ends up where he's he's like a he, he never gets higher than like a feisty eighth man. Right. And so the backwards looking thing like, oh, everyone should have known because look how he turned out is silly. And I, I feel kind of the same way about the playoffs. Like, you know, Mike Conley shot in game seven against Denver goes in last year, you know, butterfly effect being what it is. 
do the, 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 do the Clippers beat the Jazz? Maybe. And then it's then, you know, the, so it's just a, a huge butterfly flap swings moment. And then so many of those things, you know, happen, you know, that that the um, Milwaukee wins the game against Miami where they they, they called like the, the, the multiple last second fouls like that. That goes the other way somehow. And, and does that series turn out? And then and then how are we feeling about, you know, the various various narratives? So it, I, I, I I do kind of reject the, the narrative determinism that uh, that the path we chose was the only one it could have been. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that we can can move in that in, in that direction, both, you know, individually, but also <laughs> collectively as basketball media. I mean, that would, that would be my hope. And I'm also like, I mean, the Denver Nuggets in certain ways are such a challenging part of that when they have the likely, the likely and also the deserving most valuable player, Jokic, but because they're one of their other important players, Jamal Murray is out. Like it makes them more beatable, whether they actually win or yeah. lose the first round, we don't know. But the Nuggets, let's say they lose in the first round. That in no way makes Nikola Jokic's regular season any less special. He's, I mean, he is, he is, he is kind of on a free roll. I would agree. Like, um, and he's, he's earned that, but he's, I mean, cause he's been, he's been great in the playoffs in the past as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really only, only upside in the postseason for Jokic, just because, you know, I would have frankly had, but well, this, so well, had wait, let's that clarify the, that. Do you think that for, for the two of us, do you think that for the general fan or for the average media member uh, not that you have to put yourself in their place but my instinct is that yeah, I, I, I think, think I think you I, accurately reflected my interpretation but I don't know if that is reflective of la- the larger populace I mean you know I was going to say it would be pretty hypocritical it's like oh they're done because Jamal Murray's out and then they lost see that proves it's like wait no you just said they were done when Jamal Murray's out and now you can't oh, it doesn't those are inconsistent <laughs> anyway um, that, but of course that doesn't that wouldn't stop anyone from you know the, the, it, so it, that might be more us than, than than general, but certainly from from how I'm looking at it, Nick, Jokic is on a free roll. Like I would have, you know, they, he would have had much more on the line, like from a almost a legacy standpoint. If if Murray had been healthy, uh, I would I would have picked them to win the title had they had they wow. gone into the playoffs that way. Yeah, no, I was like I was. I was in like you, you, you know, the, the Aaron Gordon trade was, you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, I was kind of thinking that we would look back at it in retrospect as kind of like the Rashid Wallace trade because just kind of, oh, everything fits just perfectly now. And for that, you know, that that 10 days or so where they had that, like they were frightening. And so we're not sadly, we're not going to see that in the playoffs this year. And so, you know, the expectations change. Um, but so it's almost like the only thing they could possibly do is exceed them. Yeah. And and I've been incredibly impressed with how they've played after Jamal went down and spent. And when you consider the further context of all the other injuries that they're dealing with, including Monte Morris being out, like to yeah. to be able to succeed with this few creators is a triumph of coaching, of players, of everything else. And I would say in some ways, the good news for the Nuggets is that for beyond the kind of the free roll element, which that's a silver lining, but it is a silver lining, is I'm guessing based on what's happened the last couple of days that they're going to face a less dangerous opponent in the first round. And so like if it's a free roll and if they can make it out of the first round, then that would be an important statement as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, the other, you know, for for doing silver linings thing, the other the other thing for Denver is um, it's it it has pushed Michael Porter Jr. into a different. I've been, you know, I've I've been a somewhat vocal Michael Porter Jr. skeptic at times, and um, oops, <laughs> so it's it's you know him him like 
kind of moving up the pecking order slowly and now like uh, taking over a little bit like filling in like admirably as that like secondary like pair guy with Jokic since that injury has been really impressive yeah, I'll, I'll put some of the some of the stats on Michael Porter Jr. I'll use since the All Star break. It's not exactly a proxy, but you know, it gets it gets us close enough to there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be I'm, I am going to be writing about this week about kind of his change role since the since the, uh, the since the uh, the Murray injury, just in terms of how much more on ball responsibilities he's gotten and and how that sort of uh, cascaded throughout his game. Yes. So since the All Star break. Usage up from 20 to 23 percent, and that's gone even higher since the injury. 68 percent true shooting, 46 percent from three, taking about six and a half per game. And and yeah, if you look at the splits, be you know, like if you were to do it from the narrower thing, which I don't have the time to do on the fly, I'm not I'm not as adept at that as some people are. Um, it'd be even more striking. And yeah, I mean Porter Jr. potentially taking those steps forward. I think that is. Is, in, is incredibly impressive and significant long-term. And yeah, I mean, we'll see what we can get from those guys. Hopefully they can, you know, Monte and some of the other guys can come back. Um, I like Campazzo, of course, as I as I have for quite some time now. And I, I, I wonder, yeah, just what, what it's going to be for them. And the other kind of element this is coming up um, in terms of people kind of talking about the series they wanted is that I know there are people, and I... I I, I'm not vehemently against this. Like, so there have been some people. There are some people who like exciting first round series, and for me, I'm happy to have it chalk or chalky in the first round to set up juicier second round and conference finals. So, like the idea, let's like, I mean, uh, the, the thing about like what is maximum chaos, and for me, that's a Lakers Clippers first round series. But that's also why I don't want to see a Lakers Clippers first round series. I'd rather see it in the second or third round. Well, again, I think there's a difference in conference. I think the the first round series in the West are going to be like spicy. Um, and the, the the first round series in the East, like okay, if it's you know uh, Knicks and whoever and the four or five will be will be fun. And then you know from from a standpoint of of uh, of of narrative enjoyment, like Knicks and the one seed would be would probably be the ideal. And then you know the the two of three of of Philly, Milwaukee, and, and Brooklyn who who don't win who don't finish first. In the other one, like that's that's that side, but then the the West, like you know, first first week and a half of the playoffs, let's let, let's let's watch the late games, and then uh, the second round, let's watch uh, let's the early watch, games. We'll watch everything. And we'll be in the conference finals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's looking like Bucks Nets in the second round because the Sixers have the benefit of a now they've cleared a little bit of gap in terms of record, but also they just have this comically easy schedule to end the year. Um, and so I think they'll I think they'll be able to push the Jazz have something kind of similar, but. They're still dealing with some absences, so they're more beatable. And also, the Suns are the Suns are pushing harder. Like, I mean, the Suns this kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. They have the second best record in the whole NBA, not just the second best record in the Western Conference. Yeah, no, and they and again, they have they have been you know they they kind of were a little up and down at the very start of the season, and since then they have been I would I would the most consistently high level team in the league. Yeah, and that's and and Nate brought this up. I had completely forgotten about this that kind of the the opposite to some extent of that and there's of course a ton of context that goes in here would be the Orlando Magic who I had completely forgotten started the year six and two and then have been decidedly less than six and two since then I mean some things happened yeah well and also like some of the teams that they beat early like they beat the Wizards twice early when the Wizards were significantly worse than they are now though Cleveland was better yeah when the Wizards interior defense was was uh 
Thomas Bryant and Mo Wagner. Yes. Um, which so is, so they're six and two at the beginning of the season, the Magic, and then they're fifteen and forty four since. Some some of that is by choice, but yes. yes. Oh, and that's that's kind of like the other the other crazy thing. I, I brought this up somewhere recently. Um, it will change a lot over the next six to seven days. But the insanely weird element that right now so the houston rockets are going to be clear of everybody else for the worst record in the nba and that makes them extremely likely to keep their own well not extremely likely it makes it 50 50 basically that they will keep their first round pick this year after them you have the Cavs, the pistons the wolves the thunder and the magic all of whom currently on 538's raptor projection which remember these teams are only playing roughly five more games the rest of their season all of them are projected to finish 22 and 50 and the the ripple effects in terms of basically every permutation off of that are completely bonkers when you consider that there are protected picks in this range. Like, the, like you know, the Timberwolves are probably the most prominent in this. Like, that changes the arc not only of their franchise, but potentially of the Warriors slash whoever the Warriors could theoretically trade that pick to if they ended up wanting to trade that pick. Like, it is so, it is so big and it, I, I... You know what the maximum chaos, uh, the maximum chaos result is, don't you? The Bulls win the lottery. I think maximum chaos is the Pelicans win the lottery. Personally, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the Pelicans win the lottery, and we get we get a new round of lottery reform. Yeah, which is, which incidentally, yeah. it's exactly what happens. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, no, exactly. I wrote about that. I wrote about that in my Warriors book. It's like because and the, the, this lottery reform hadn't happened yet. It's like that lottery reform happened because the, the Orlando Magic, who weren't particularly like they weren't terrible, won the lottery two years in a row and ended up with Shaq and Penny. And everybody's like, uh, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. And then they yeah. shifted, and then the process shifted it back the other way. Well, and then and then the the Cavs won, you know, multiple years in a row. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's and then you know trade for LeBron. Yada yada yada. Now one of them. <laughs> You know, they, they won and drafted Anthony Bennett, so, but, you know, they I still mean, won that, the lottery. In that draft, that was, you know, I mean, yeah, no, it's, I think I had Nerland's number one in that class, and, you know, he's having a wonderful year this year, but it's it's taken some time. Yeah, no, that was that was a, that was a mess of the draft at the top. I mean, obviously, like, well, how, how come nobody nobody thought about drafting Giannis at first? It's like, yeah, okay. I mean, like, I had Giannis, <laughs> I think, eighth, and that was about the highest I saw anybody. And I had barely watched, I hadn't watched that much film, but I'm just like, I had a specific theory of that year's draft. I mean, you can my stuff at Real Jam, I think, is still there. The formatting might be a little wonky after all these years, but I think it's still there. My theory of was that was that twenty eleven? Um, so long ago. Sounds right. That was twenty thirteen. Okay, so my theory of the twenty thirteen draft was everybody's floor is low, everybody's expected value is low, so just draft on ceiling. And honestly, that ended up being not too bad that year. Like basically the idea is like most of these guys aren't going to be good. So let's so just just take the guy who could end up being the best. And so yeah, I I had Nerlens high. I had um I had Gobert high. Um I loved I've always loved Rudy Gobert. And um yeah, so the Bulls pick just so people have it, it's top four protected. Um, which is so I mean, there can be pretty significant chaos even if they don't get the number one. Um but just, I mean, them, but them jumping just because it, like, it now there's there's less spots for for Minnesota and and uh, Houston and and Houston too. Yeah. Also, also on that, you know, I'm I'm a pick protection maven, of course. Uh, the Minnesota pick is only top three protected, so there's some yeah. there's some craziness that could happen there too. I mean. The possibility of the Warriors getting getting the fourth or fifth pick and what a lot of people think is a five-player top or second tier, depending on how you feel about Kate Cunningham, is also insane. Of course, last year they did that, and I think they chose wrong. We'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, and teams do that all the time. Yeah, I mean, 
the, the toughest thing is I think like I think they chose wrong too, but like I just trying to put myself in the shoes of they've had this plan and the morning of the draft it blows up and, and you're not even sure what exactly the thing is. I mean because you know Clay hurt himself like late morning of draft day yep and just you know you no matter like you do scenario and it and wasn't at the run, facility but, or anything else it was I mean I think yeah. they had an idea but. Yeah, but you you know you 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 run you know all kinds of scenarios and do mocks and stuff like that. I just I don't know how you prepare for that. So yeah, like you know, cold light of day, like the some of the, like even if you're a fit guy, the reasons to not draft Mello kind of Lamelo kind of evaporate. But it's just like at that point, it's just so hard. I I, I, mm, I you know I I have a hard time seeing someone who would would be able to in that amount of time coherently like upend the strategy that they've been spending weeks building and and that's also though a part of why i am pretty zealously you know best prospect available you don't focus things other things can change so quickly and because it is extremely rare for young players to actually contribute early but the the biggest argument that i've always made in terms of this is you take the best player because it's most likely that they're going to hold their value you know like if you i know there are arguments like oh why is he like he's a center or big guys always do it. it's like better players generally hold their value more than inferior yeah. inferior guys something interesting i'm looking at the 2013 2013 draft i mean we're years and years out from this the guys are on their third contracts i mean nerlens noel is probably on his fourth or fifth anthony bennett is the only player taken before 14 and who knows maybe at some point shabazz muhammad is back in the league who is not currently in the nba that I, you know, that's that's really interesting. Like, I mean, a lot of them don't have amazing careers, you know, like Alex Len and Ben McElmore, Trey Burke have bounced around a lot, but they're still around. Like, that is that is an uncommonly high, you know, like I, it's kind of like star. I, I often use the term like star starters and rotation players. It's like that class is pretty. Well, I mean, it ends up being okay in terms of stars with Giannis and Gobert, and at a time Oladipo, but. I mean, that's that's kind of impressive. So if you want to compare that to, well, I guess so if you look at 14, Stauskas is out of the league. Vonley is kind of out of the league. Um, and that's really about it there. And Parker, Jabari Parker has bounced a little bit. And we don't know what's going on with Exum. I guess Exum might be on his way out. But hopefully he's not. Yeah. Hopefully he's just, it's just that this calf issue just took him out for this year. I, I mean, I still think there's a good player in there. Um, and then if you went beyond that, there are other players there. But it's like, yeah, sure. uh, let's let's call that let's call that a small victory for the much maligned, deservedly so, 20, 2013 draft class. Or or that or a measure of how strong the uh, the lottery pick halo effect is. Also true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is I a think, like ben, like Ben Ben McLemore has has turned himself into a a serviceable NBA player over the years. I think because of where he was drafted, he's gotten more chances, and that you know that's that's how it works. Like you know, I okay. It may be like some of that is it even makes sense because the things that made him get drafted at that point are the things you're going to say, well, maybe if we can unlock that. But still, I do think that that uh, that, you know, if if he was a talented player who had, you know, let's, let's put it this way. Someone who is who is picked 30th, like Kevin Porter Jr. would not have gotten the number of chances that Macklemore has. And I think that that like on on talent coming into the draft, they were probably comparable. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that's fair. <laughs> It's a player comp nobody has ever made. Like, no. It wasn't really a player comp. It was, it was a situational comp. Situational comp. Yeah. I, I think where I kinda wanna where I kinda wanna end with this is we're now one week out from the end of the regular season. We're let's call it a week and a half from the from the first play in of this iteration. What teams are you watching? What are you looking for? 
Um, man, that's a that's a tough question. Mostly because, again, I don't know what anyone's going to show me over the next week that's going to tell me anything. That's going to make me feel more confident about anything. You know, it was J- James Harden get back on the floor and how he looks. Maybe that's something. You know, LeBron gets back on the floor. Floor shows something that, like, I guess those will tell me some things. So I guess I mean, if you and if for you me, me pick, the other one is Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you're going to make me pick, like those are like the, the players kind of coming back and getting back on the floor are the ones that are that are uh, most uh, most worth watching. And, you know, th- we've we've actually been, you know, one of the benefits of the compressed schedule, is even though there's been a lot of blowouts um, because there's so many games every night that there's been all, like most nights, it seems like there's been one or two really good games. Yeah, like and- the, like it ended up being a it ended up being you know Phoenix kind of kind of uh, put it away a little bit late, but that was that was a, that was a really good game for. I don't know, three quarters in a bit. And I don't I wouldn't necessarily say it was a good game, but New Orleans Philly was a close game. For, for <laughs> it was a sloppy as hell game, and and there was well, not like the main the, event there was a. Uh, the main event there was uh, Griff's press conference, I think. Yeah, I think that that too. And Lonzo Ball somehow throwing two, like, who I, you know, who who is such a talented passer, throwing two passes off shins on the final two possessions of the game. Like, that's not something you see very often. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it, they come from, from all over. Sometimes it's the big national games. And the other thing that I'm looking for, and I, I brought this up earlier, is... This is probably, and it's anomalous because of how compressed the schedule is, um, though Evan Wash would say that it's not, you know, like we did that, Nate and I did that interview with him, and, and this is fair, that it's not, It fe- in some ways it feels more compressed than it is numerically, but how these top teams, the teams that are getting a week off, how they approach the end of the year. Now, I have long believed that that was more about injury risk mitigation rather than, you know, like fatigue, but I'm, I could be wrong. I could very well be wrong, and I don't know if these teams are going to want to kind of, like, some of them are going to want to run through the tape, whether they're going to want to give their guys some rest. And so, like, one of my operating theories has been, like, once Philly clinches the one seed, maybe they play Embiid and Simmons in games, but they do, like, a couple of five-minute bursts rather than, like, the full game. No, I, I think I think if you're going to do that, you might as well just hold them out. Um, just part of that is is, like, you know, okay, the minutes are whatever, but you, you got to, you know— Whatever the minute load is, you got to tack X number of minutes on just for suiting up for like the active warm up and then the, the the cool down afterwards and stuff like that. Well, yeah, that's so like sorry, go ahead. No, that that's like the the idea. People and I I remember I was like this before I kind of started talking to people more often. Of the why don't you just what why is it that teams like never bring their starters back? You know, like, it's why are they so reluctant to pull their starters when they and instead of just potentially bringing them back in? It's like because there are all these things that happen, and it's like it's a lot harder to do that. And so your mindset of if you're not playing in a game at all versus if you're playing a little bit is very different. Yeah, no, I, I and and I, I think if you're gonna like if you're gonna try to rest guys actually rest guys again like you are guys do so this is something that they hear players talk a lot about later in their careers like the like you know Dirk talked about this a lot later in his career is it wasn't the game so much it was everything he had to do between the games to be able to play in the games Mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of that kind of kind of maintenance and ramp up that if you can give okay no just you know you know do you know get get out in the court shoot your jumpers get in the training room do that stuff if you can do that and sort of kind of resolve for a week like i think that would be that would be that would be probably the way i would do it instead of trying to well we're just gonna play him 18 minutes tonight mm-hmm. 
And the other factor that's been in that, another one of those you don't see it, so we often don't think about it as much as the players and the coaches do, is how much the protocols are taking out of them. I mean, you have like all the testing and, and, and all of the, you know, having to go in and all the restrictions that many teams are facing, you know, trying to trying to do everything. And so like when you're traveling and everything else. And so all of all of that is kind of weighing on everything as well. Sure. Yeah, it's going to be. I'm I'm very interested like one of the other parts of this that we're obviously not going to see for a little while now is how how the season how, I I'm guessing players are just going to be so thrilled next season if like basically they can live their lives again. Hopefully they can. I mean, we don't know where the world is going to be in October of 2021, but hopefully we're at that point. And I think for the playoffs, I, I don't know what the testing regime is going to be. I don't know what the vaccination numbers are like for each organization. I know there are thresholds where the things get less onerous, but yeah, I mean, and and whether that affects the timeline, like, oh, if I'm going to have to go into the facility a couple hours early anyway, even if I'm not playing, or maybe you just say, when you're not coming into the arena at all today, maybe they don't have to go through. I, I don't know all of those nuances. Yeah, that, those, those are good questions, too, actually. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the answer to that either. Yeah. Well, we will learn a lot over the course of the next week. Uh, thank you so much for taking time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Seth for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic. You can also listen to the Nerder She Wrote podcast. And very excited that his manuscript was just finished. I don't know publication timeline or anything with his book, but I've read part of it. I'm extremely excited to read the rest of it and for everybody else too as well. And of course, you can follow Seth on Twitter if you don't already at Seth Partnow, S-E-T-H-P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Love having him on and getting his perspective and working through some of the stuff with Jokic's MVP case and everything else. You know, I'm not all the way through all my research. Nate and I will do awards pretty soon. Not all the way there. If you want to support this podcast, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode that is particularly good with Real GM Radio because it will never come out on a specific day of the week. It's just going to be when I'm available, my guests are available. So you can't get in habit, so subscribe. That way it'll pop into your podcast player whenever you're ready for it, whether it's Spotify, Apple, wherever. And also, you can help other people find the show. That is word of mouth or leaving a rating and a review and that helps other people find the show whether you like a specific episode or the show in general and you can also check out the other work that i do nate duncan and i are doing the last of our league pass nba cast that will be this week because there is no more league pass after this week it will be all on national and all that fun stuff uh and so you can watch that and then nate and i will be doing the more kind of quote-unquote traditional because it started first nba casts are where you have to kind of sync up with us those will be starting next week actually those starting pretty soon and um just trying to get back into form and we'll have that ready before the play-in but we'll probably do probably regular season game or two and nate and i also doing dunked on uh the single episode per week is sunday night slash monday morning we're actually going to do awards for this one and then dunked on prime is the rest of the week and you can check that out of course and we also do the locker room conversations on tuesdays and that's always a lot of fun you can get the we like to think of it like a call-in radio show and release that as a podcast as well for those of you who can't be with us live also if you have any feedback good bad or indifferent danny larue nba at gmail.com is the way to get to me if you take the time to write it i will take the time to read it that is a promise i'll try to get back to you i'm admittedly not as great about that but i do i do read everything it comes in it's just about you know i want to give things a good give things a good thought if I and before I respond if I do and not everything requires one sometimes people are just like hey do this I consider it and everything else but that is enough for now thank you all so much for listening take care and make it a great day Mm -hmm.